0: Welcome back to another episode of Beyond the Ribbon. This podcast is brought to you by Pete's Car Smart Kia. These guys are not here just to sell you a car, but they believe in building relationships with their customers and the community. Visit their website at pete'scarsmartkia.com and be sure to follow them on their social media platforms as well. Before we get to this week's episode, we have some very exciting news to share with all of our listeners. Palace Coffee Company here in Amarillo and Canyon has chosen us as the Cause Latte recipient for April, May, and June. Now, April's Cause drink is called the Blue Bonnet, and I've had it, and it is really, really tasty. So, get by Palace Coffee, because $1 from every Cause Latte is donated to 24 Hours in the Canyon to go to help local cancer survivors at the Survivorship Center. Now, there's four locations you can go to. There's one in Canyon that is on the square. There's a palace location downtown Amarillo on Polk Street, over by TJ Maxx at 34th and Coulter, and in Wolfland at Georgia and I-40. So get by one of those locations in the month of April, order a blue bonnet, or just simply say, give me the cause drink and we will actually get some money to help local cancer survivors. Thanks a bunch. Now to this week's episode. Welcome to this week's episode of Beyond the Ribbon. My name is Ryan Parnell, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host and oncology nurse, Pam McMillan.
1: Hello, Ryan. How are you?
0: I'm doing really good, Pam.
1: Good. Are you ready for a hard topic?
0: You know, yeah.
1: Maybe an uncomfortable one? It
0: it is, And, and I know this has been one that we've wanted to do for quite some time.
1: Mm -hmm. We have, you know, and sometimes information is always important and educating our people is the most important thing. And so, and when people ask me about hospice or palliative care, it's kind of an uncomfortable topic, because we don't want to talk about death and dying. Yeah. But
0: and it, it's, sometimes cer- we have to, and it certainly is something that we shouldn't shy away from. That's right. You remember, we we've said this before. In fact, it's been a bit, I think we, we, we committed ourselves when we started doing this podcast to doing a couple of things, right? That's right. We we're going to ask the hard questions and mm-hmm. get answers to the hard questions. Mm-hmm. And we were going to seek out experts, to guide us through this.
1: I think we have one. Today.
0: And I think we do, too. And I tell you, this is it's an exciting uh, time to have uh, Dr. Randy Stewart. Uh, I've known Dr. Stewart for quite some time in my various roles and and, and seen him in a couple of different uh, ways uh, in my previous life. But Dr. Stewart, we were just discussing, Pam, has 32 years of hospice experience.
1: I say that's an expert. That's right.
0: Dr. Stewart. (laughs) Thanks for joining us. No pressure. (laughs) Thanks Ryan and Pam. Thank Uh, you for joining me here. Yeah. You know, um, as Pam said occasionally and and often this topic comes up Mm -hmm. and, um, I have to profess and I think Pam would agree. I, I am certainly not an expert even after I've done my homework a little bit. I know I still have questions
1: still kind of confusing. It is.
0: So help us dr stewart help our listeners let's just kind of start like we always like to say at the basics and let's okay. kind of get a, a ground floor understanding of the difference between hospice care and palliative care okay all right yeah i think um, well uh, it reminds
2: me of what a comedian said one time i'm not afraid of dying i just don't want to be there when it happens <laughs> uh and i think we can all relate to that sure. um and it is a difficult you know subject um, I've been there with my own family and had family in hospice, so um it's tough, but uh it's it's a none of us are gonna escape that, so I think we have to deal with it. so uh, I think the easiest way to kind of differentiate between hospice and palliative care is to start with hospice and work our way back
0: okay
2: um uh, and I'll give you kind of the textbook definition and then maybe I'll give you some more details of it may make more sense to you, but so basically, hospice care is an interdisciplinary approach to the care of patients who have advanced illness with a high symptom burden who are in the last six months of life. Mm -hmm. And I think the key is the last six months of life define hospice, you know, versus palliative care. Right. And one thing I tell people is that that when we uh, certify somebody under like hospice Medicare, which is a special program, what we're certifying is if this illness follows its normal course, the majority of people will not live 6 months. Mm-hmm. And and I say that because we sometimes have people in hospice a year mm-hmm. or two years. I was just thinking
0: that. Uh, I was just thinking that.
2: Yeah, and sometimes I, as I tell patients, uh, you know, a few of you will graduate out of hospice mm-hmm. and I'll see you in 4 or 5 years. Uh and I've had that happen, you know, more than once. So it's uh, not a death sentence if you get if you get to hospice and so one of the things we quote is that you know there are studies and one of the most famous one is one on stage four lung cancer people that had hospice or palliative care instead of just traditional care actually lived longer um and i kind of liken it to you know if if you were going to run a marathon if i could get you ahead of time and i could hydrate you you know get you on some carbs get you ready train you uh and you enter that marathon you're gonna you're gonna live longer and do better if you come to me in the last two miles of the marathon, I can't help you. Yeah. I mean, I might drag you across the finish line, but I can't help you. Sure. And so that's kind of the idea I think with hospice. Um, and if we move back, uh, palliative care, which is, you know, it's been around almost as long as hospice. It started in the early seventies, um, in England and then moved over, but most people aren't familiar with it and that includes doctors and, and other people. So uh, it we, that. we shouldn't <laughs> feel so bad, Pam. <laughs> that's, that's right. right. So uh, the term palliative is actually a Latin word that means cloak. So mm-hmm. it's to kind of cloak or cover or put on a coat. So it's it, it's basically the idea is is we're we're taking care of the entire patient. And so again, uh, palliative care is a multidisciplinary approach to people with chronic illness who have a high symptom burden, but may not be in the last six months of life and are still wanting to seek aggressive care, okay? So that's kind of the textbook definition. And so, I mean, to kind of put it in more lay terms, I mean, uh, people in under hospice or palliative care, we approach the patient as more than just a physical being, like an illness. Mm -hmm. We look at their spiritual uh, side, emotional side, psychosocial side, Mm -hmm. financial side, Symptoms, you know, illness. And we have a whole team that addresses all of those uh, ideas, knowing that people do better, live longer, and have better quality of life if you address the whole person. Right. Um, so, for example, like with palliative care, we'll have people who have maybe chronic lung disease or Parkinson's or dementia or congestive heart failure or COPD still seeking aggressive care, but having a high symptom burden where they're not comfortable, they're short of breath, maybe they're continually nauseated, they don't feel like eating. And so palliative care approaches all of those things along with spiritual issues, psychosocial issues to take care of the entire patient. Um, So really the big difference between hospice and palliative care, palliative care, you can still be seeking aggressive care and you're not certified that you're in the last six Six months months of life. Some people in palliative care will be in it two months and some will be in it five years. Yeah. Um, so what it's, what it's not, it's, it's not to treat just chronic pain syndromes. So these are people who have chronic illnesses that you can't fix, can't cure. And eventually we're going to take their life, but it may be, you know, years down the road. Okay. And I guess the other thing I would point out, um, hospice, especially in palliative care are not a place. So I, sometimes I, I have people say, I don't want to go to hospice, yeah. Right. Yeah. uh, I mean, hospice is not like a physical building. It, I mean, the vast majority of our palliative care patients and hospice patients are at home. Wow. Um, you know, studies in the U.S. show that well over 80 percent of people say they would prefer to die at home. But in reality, less than half actually do in the U.S. So, you know, our goal is to try to decide you know, what do you want? What are your plan of care? what are your wishes what are your desires yeah. and then try to fulfill that
0: through whether it be palliative, palliative. care or hospice care so i guess with palliative care it, there's you know with well, let me back up with hospice there's there's a time frame correct um, with palliative care you said they may be on it for for years and years and mm-hmm. years is there a a a starting point or is you know in our in our case we're talking with cancer survivors so maybe during treatment is is that a, 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 an appropriate use of palliative care it
2: would it would be and i mean i've gotten referrals from people and especially those who have like i said a, a fairly high symptom burden right so that might be shortness of breath if they're lung cancer yeah. mm-hmm. uh you know uh somebody with con- uh with can- with another kind of cancer may have recurrent nausea or vomiting or anorexia you know not mm-hmm. not feeling like eating so right. those are things that we can sometimes provide during the course of therapy, uh, and sometimes then they don't need it if the therapy ends and you know you palliate them. What's always interesting to me, and I know this is more geared towards patients with uh, with cancers and malignancies, but in in palliative care, we found that um, one of the highest symptom burdens of pain is people with congestive heart failure. Which you wouldn't think. Yeah. Why do you have pain with congestive heart failure? But right. when you when you do studies across the board, uh, patients with congestive heart failure complain of pain, cool. and that's one of their biggest symptoms, other than shortness of breath. So yeah, so during a treatment phase, and and I do get referrals from people who are undergoing chemotherapy that's somewhat palliative, meaning that they don't think they can cure, but maybe they can they can uh, control it for a number of years. Right. Uh, but they have a fairly high symptom burden either from the cancer or many times now from the chemotherapy chemotherapy. or the the immune therapy that Mm -hmm. they're getting. Uh, And that's an appropriate uh, role for palliative care.
1: So why do you think there's a stigma of people going to hospice?
2: Well, I mean, I think it's, uh, I think it's the stigma of uh, death uh, in the U S is just, uh, you know, people don't deal with it well. And it's kind of had a, a you know, obviously negative connotations, like I said, nobody's going to escape it, but I think that's part of the reason. And, you know, there's even places um, that have changed the name of their palliative care and hospice to supportive care mm-hmm. because the negative connotation of either hospice or palliative they've heard about. So supportive care, which is really what it is. Yes. It sounds better. Um, but I think I think people don't understand it. And a lot of patients I talk to and doctors and family members would say, Well, we can't do anything more for you. Therefore, go to hospice. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. The way it's phrased. Yeah. Just set set that expectation up front. Exactly. Whereas as a hospice doctor, we would say, We're gonna do every bit as much for you, in fact, maybe more mm-hmm. than what you've been getting. Because I mean the man the mantra of hospice has always been we're going to help you live until you die. So, you know, we're going to, we're going to make your, your quality of life as good as we can till you take until you take your last breath. And, uh, yeah. Oh yeah. And, and we see people all the time who have, like I say, a high symptom burden and, and we get them, you know, controlled. I'll never forget. I'll up a story that uh, I had a patient. He was, he was a, this is years ago, a farmer from Dalhart. And, and we talked to him about hospice. He had lung cancer, very short of breath, had all kinds of symptoms. And I told him he needed to go to a hospice for him, his case inpatient. And I mean, he was probably 75 or 80, but he cried like a baby. And I said, look, it's really not, it's not what you think. So he came down to the, our old inpatient unit. And five days later, he felt like a new man. And I went in that day and I talked to him and I said, you know, I, I think you're ready to go back home to Dalhart to your farm he cried like a baby. He said, I don't want to leave here. <laughs> he oh, said, you can. have done more for me in five days than I've, you know, right. symptom wise. And that's, that's many times what we, what we see. I mean, not everybody has that outcome, right? but I would say everybody is the majority of patients and families are pleased that my loved one is finally comfortable, which they
0: maybe haven't been for a year or two. Well, yeah. That was my next mm-hmm. question was uh, talk with us if you can uh, in, in general terms about, what goes on in the in hospice setting, you know, okay. it's at their house. Uh-huh. Um, and you know, you're talking about making them comfortable mm-hmm. and how that particular farmer, you know, felt better than he had in, in forever.
2: Mm-hmm. Can,
0: can you explain a little bit of that? Yeah. So, you know, hospice is
2: primarily, um, like I said, most of it's at home. Like you said, it's certainly mostly nurse driven with help of nurse practitioners and physicians. But like if you're in, if you're in a hospice program, your nurse is going to come to your home, uh, usually two to three times a week, depending on your symptoms. Sometimes every day, if you're having a, a, a really high symptom burden or problem, assess your symptoms, try to anticipate, you know, what's going to come up. Try to, you know, if you if you're get sh- shortness of breath, try to anticipate, let's get that started on treatment this minute, not wait till three days or four days where you'd have to go to the emergency like room. catch up. Play catch up exactly, and then also we have AIDS. We have social workers who are coming out to address financial issues because sometimes, obviously, chronic illness creates financial burdens sure for families, and so we can help them kind of maneuver the system of how do you address this. You know, patient. We have patients who are on chronic oxygen, and we have to get Excel to say, okay, if there's a power outage, your yours isn't going to be affected, or if you don't pay your bill it's not going to be shut off because you're, you know, you've got oxygen that's required. So all these different things, spiritual care, people that go out and address spiritual issues with family. And, you know, obviously in this, in Amarillo now, I mean, we have Christians, we have Muslims, we have Buddhists, we have a little bit of everything. So we have to address all those things. Um, I can't imagine. Trying to meet all of those needs. Yeah, I mean it's it's a challenge, and and we, we have great community support, support. to help that. Uh, but that's kind of what home hospice is. You know, most I mean hospice is required to have the ability to move people into an inpatient facility, either contract bed like in a nursing facility or have your own if your symptoms can't be controlled at home. But I, I would say uh, on an average month we wouldn't have more than 1% or 2% of our home care patients have to come in to an inpatient unit. Almost all of my inpatients are coming directly from the hospital over to inpatient. So most of our patients stay at stay home, home, symptoms are controlled at home, and eventually you know, die at home, yes. uh, so, if that's their wishes.
1: So with hospice, do they continue to go see their regular doctors, or is that care given over to
2: y'all yeah so it's a little interesting in amarillo (laughs) so if you go most places in the country uh the hospice medical director doesn't take over care of the patient they continue to see their own physician and the way that works is that hospice has to pay that for that physician's visit so the physician bills the hospice who then pays the physician back in Amarillo and I think it started back in you know when hospice started here in the mid 80s with Dr Holman and and Dr Epley uh, they took over care and most of the physicians in town said they they can do a better job they know more what they're doing when I send you to hospice I want them, them to do it them to do it and so traditionally in Amarillo that's how it's been so I mean we're the attending physician on on probably 95% of our hospice patients you can go see your personal physician, or if you want to go see your oncologist to get a, another opinion. Um, for example, I had a patient, uh, it's been probably two or three years ago, he, uh, he was a younger man with colon cancer, uh, stage four, high symptom burden, wasn't eating, uh, lots of pain, just uh, for the most part bedridden when we got him in the inpatient unit. And because of that, not a candidate for uh, therapy. Right. Um, we got his symptoms and pain controlled. And within about a week he was up walking around eating, <clears throat> um, actually went home on their hospice, started gaining weight. I went out and saw him and I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> you know, this, <laughs> this is isn't a, right. this isn't right. Um, so we got him back into his oncologist and he said, yeah, he's a candidate for palliative chemotherapy. Now we signed him out and, and he lived, I can't remember exactly, but it was at least three years wow. longer. Um, and it was only because, you know, his symptom burden was so high and we got it controlled. So, you know, sometimes we do that. We have to, you know, we send patients back or we kind of reevaluate, you know, things aren't changing the way you would expect them to change. You know, sometimes we have to do diagnostic studies to kind of see, is this really what the doctor thought it was to Mm -hmm. start with? Mm -hmm. So, so it's not like you come to hospice, we put you on morphine, throw away the key and and yeah, uh, snow you over exactly. That's and that's the that's you're
0: incoherent of, and exactly don't recognize right. it. Right, I think
1: that's what most people think, I think
0: whenever so too. you say the they word do. I think so too. Pam. They do. I do. They do. And I
2: mean, obviously, we use a lot of narcotics for pain management, but not to the point of making patients where they're not coherent and can't function and those kind of things. And and that I mean, I, I even get that from doctors. Doctors that they say, oh, well, you're just going to send them to hospital. Yeah and uh, and that's that's not you know we, the way we do things and haven't had family members in hospice i mean i would never you know practice that way and i would say the majority of hospices across the country don't yeah um, but it's
1: the goal is quality
0: exactly exactly yeah. Yeah. and yeah. and going back you know pam had that question about um uh in hospice care seeing their family doctor or the doctors and that while that can happen on the flip side with palliative care, right, they're still going to their regular doctors, they're still going to their regular appointments and yeah, specialists.
2: Yeah, so under, under palliative care, you can continue to see your own physician that referred you, or we have nurse practitioners who can do primary care at home. Oh, yes. So a lot of our, I would say a vast majority of our palliative care patients at home have difficulty getting to the doctor, uh, don't drive, um, you know, can't see, mm-hmm. don't have family. So um, our, our ner- and unlike hospice which is kind of nurse driven, our nurse practitioners actually in palliative care go into the home and provide primary care. And most of them are in home health so we can we can have blood draws at home. We can typically get portable X-rays at home if we need them. Sure. Um, I mean the goal in palliative care is to manage the symptom burden and keep people out of the hospital in the emergency room because I mean nobody wants to be there uh you know, it's it's not a good place to be and you don't want to spend the majority of your life in a hospital or an emergency room. So that's another I guess difference of palliative care is we can and and many times I'd say the majority of our palliative home care patients, we're providing all of the palliative care and, and primary care at home. Primary care. But it's not required. Unlike hospice with hospice Medicare, there's not a specific program under Medicare for palliative care. So it's billed through regular regular medicare Mm -hmm. and so it's just like if you were going to your doctor in the office except we're coming to your home the nurse practitioner is coming to your home
1: more convenient i was
0: about to say that is super convenient (laughs) yeah yeah
2: especially for you know like i said we we do have patients that certainly can go to the doctor and want to go to their primary care doctor and and we're fine with that we just kind of you know we get we I guess to discuss that up front so we know where, where are you going to get the majority of your primary care? Is it us? Mm -hmm. Are we seeing you mainly for, for pain or some symptom or are we providing the entire thing? And so we work with the primary care doctors that refer these patients or the
0: oncologist or whoever it might be to make sure. One thing I'm noticing here, Pam, and I don't know if our listeners are noticing, but there's a lot of uh, patient driven Mm -hmm. pieces and parts in Mm -hmm. both palliative and hospice what do you want you know what do you, what are your wishes mm-hmm. what are your what's your plan and what do you have and and I think that that is so cool because um we've talked about how often in in oncology the minute you hear the words you have cancer you you basically turn the keys over of your schedule your life to your oncologist mm-hmm. at that moment very
1: few decisions that you can make
0: right mm-hmm. right and I think that's incredibly unique I you know kind of knew a little bit about hospice maybe that you know my wish is this or i want that but yet there's so much i didn't realize that with palliative care mm-hmm. being able to be seen by a nurse practitioner at your house mm-hmm.
1: so now that we know the difference between the two um and we have listeners listening thinking man i need to be on palliative care <laughs> how does one go about signing up for palliative care
2: so the the best thing to do is talk to your oncologist or primary care doctor whoever's providing the majority of your care and ask him you know do you think i'm that that would be appropriate for me, and and usually we we like to have a physician or mid level referral. Sure, um, you know sometimes patients call, which is fine. I mean, the the BSA Hospital of the Southwest and palliative care are in the same building, so they can call that the BSA Hospital of the Southwest and ask for the palliative care office. Mm-hmm. If we get a if we get a patient or family member call, which is fine, we will we will talk to the primary care doctor or oncologist, get records and make sure everybody is on board and on the same page and is in agreement mm-hmm. uh, before we, you know, would sign somebody in. But they can, they can reach out to us if they want to, and then we can take it from there and discuss it with their physician or their mid-level or whoever's doing their primary care or oncology care.
1: And is there a perfect time to start palliative care or hospice?
2: Well, I think with palliative care, it's when you have a symptom burden. Uh, and, you know, I mean, that's kind of a, I guess a vague term, but basically if you're having pain that's not controlled, nausea, that's not controlled, weight loss, not eating uh, shortness of breath, that's not controlled um, or psychosocial emotional uh, issues dealing with the cancer. I mean, those would all be times when palliative care, you know, would be appropriate for hospice care. You know, we really need a referral from a, a attending physician or oncologist that says, We believe that this patient, if the illness goes its normal course, won't, you know, won't uh, be here six months from now. Mm -hmm. And that's part of the requirement for hospice Medicare. So it's a little different because there's rules that we have to follow with hospice Medicare.
1: And so now with hospice, um, I know it's not just treating the patient. It's also support for the family, correct? Exactly.
2: Yeah. That's why I said the kind of the multidisciplinary, Mm interdisciplinary because we know that a a patient is not just a lone person that, uh, you know, is just independent out there floating in space that, you know, families deal with grief and and the illness, uh, you know, and the caregiver deals with that. So we address all of those issues other, you know, beyond just the patient uh, to try to make the quality of the
0: experience and quality of life as good as possible. Yeah. I, I can only imagine some of the discussions that take place you know, in and around a hospice setting. But I can also imagine they're very powerful and very uh, meaningful for everyone involved. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just I I just can't help but think that, um, you know, there's it's not just the patient that needs assistance or needs um, help, if you will. Uh, It's the family as well. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, the families are sometimes the most stress
2: in my experience, uh, much more stress sometimes than the patients. So, and, and one of the things we do in palliative care and hospice is one of the first discussions you have is goals of care. You know, one, who would you want to make decisions if you couldn't? Um, I mean, that's a critical thing. Uh, you know, during COVID it became even more critical sure. because we would get these people, you know, in the emergency room or the hospital with no family around and, um, sometimes they couldn't tell us. So one of the first things we do in both hospice and palliative care is kind of establish a hierarchy. Who, who's your decision maker? If you can't make decisions, what are your goals of care? If you're in palliative care, do you prefer to stay at home? I mean, I have patients in palliative care that says, I will never go back to the emergency room of the hospital. So just write that down, you know? <laughs> okay. Uh, and, and I'm fine, you know, I'm like, yeah. okay. And then there's some that say, no, if I get, Sick enough and you can't manage it here, I'm fine with going back. So a lot of it's establishing, you know, those goals of care up front in both palliative care and hospice. Whatever your expectations, what's important to you, um, and kind of getting that
0: uh, so that everybody understands.
1: Ryan, I think it's a lot of communicating.
0: Pam, that (laughs) that (laughs) that, that word comes up in... What, 95 to 99% of our our podcast, doesn't it? It
1: does. You know, and I think it's sometimes hard for um, patients currently going through treatment that are metastatic to communicate with their family their wishes. And um, when is that time where you don't have that guilt Mm -hmm. to say, I don't want any more treatment, and the family can be okay with that? Yes.
2: Yeah, I think that's one of the hardest decisions and things I face in hospice especially is A patient who in private says, I'm tired of fighting this. I just want to be comfortable. I don't want to keep doing this. And then when husband or wife show up, they won't say that. And I know what they really feel, uh, yet they don't want to disappoint family sure. or kids or whatever, and which is perfectly understandable too. Mm-hmm.
1: So, so is maybe palliative like a stepping stone for those patients?
2: I think it really is. I mean, you know, part of the problem I think in hospice in the U S is the idea is we get, you know, we get patients hopefully with months left to live that we can really make a difference. But uh, uh, the majority of hospices in the country get those patients in the last week or two of life. Yeah, And, and it's, you know, like I said, it's kind of goes back to the, Uh, analogy of the marathon is if I get you in the last mile of the marathon, I can't do much to, to, to improve your, your time. Um, So that is, so I think it is a stepping stone and it, it kind of gets people used to the idea and used to the people. And they, they understand it's not, they don't have to fear it. It's not something to be afraid of uh, that. It's really going to help me have better quality of life. And so I, I think it is a good stepping stone.
0: You know, I think Pam, part of the deal, and as you hit on the head right off the bat about the stigma And, and the negative connotations, I mean, I can't tell many times, and I know Pam, you hear it too. Uh, Did you hear so-and-so, you know, they, they put them in hospice and they only lasted like a week week or two days or, and I, 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 in my heart, I kind of go, they should have gone a long time ago. Just as you said, just, and then it made me think about that. Um, because I think that, that setting is the, 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 not the gold standard, but that's what you send. You automatically think of is, right. Oh, just the last couple of weeks or last
2: couple of mm-hmm. days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what a lot of people think hospice is. And, uh, but you're right. I mean, I have patients tell me all the time. I don't want to go to hospice cause I knew somebody who went there and they died. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of that is, goes back to that idea is where, you know, people come to hospice when they're in the last week of life, not when they have six months, you know, to, to live. Mm-hmm. And, with palliative care, maybe even two or three years to live. Um, and it doesn't palliative care doesn't interfere with the treatment plan that you're undergoing. It's, it's an additive, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's an additional cloak, uh, so to speak, uh, to help
0: patients through those chronic illnesses. Pam, one thing that just struck me too, and and as you said about, you know, sharing your wishes and, and, and those things, I mean, I think it's, it's a time like I need to be communicating that to my family and, As, as do you, I mean, because while I'm not in the last certifiably in the last six months of my life, i may be certifiable, (laughs) but I'm not certifiably there. There's two
1: things in life that are guaranteed (laughs) to be born and to die. That's right. That's right. And so it is
0: important regardless of if it's the last six months or, or whatever it is. I mean, I think that's a a, a good communicating thing to do.
1: Have a healthy discussion about Mm -hmm. your wishes. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I tell you, Pam, I've learned a lot. It,
1: At, it has been very informative. And I for didn't,
0: me. I didn't, I mean, I had no idea what I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> of course our listeners are probably going, "Well, no kidding. <laughs> but I, you know, I mean, it's, it's incredible to, to think about this and, and you guys listening, I think, you know, um, take this to heart. Um, uh, because I, you know, we're all going to be there just as, as you said, Dr. Stewart. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's going to happen. We can't escape it. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Is there anything else that you would like to tell us about palliative care or hospice before we get to our last segment?
0: Let me just say, because
2: we didn't really talk about it, is hospice care. One one advantage of hospice care, it's not the reason to go into hospice is, but with hospice Medicare, uh, the program um, pays for anything related to the terminal illness. Mm -hmm. So under hospice, if you're on oxygen, you're on medicines to control your symptoms, um, you, you need medical equipment, hospital bed, nursing care. It's 100% covered. There's no there's no uh, deductible. Uh, there's no out-of-pocket expense if it's related to the terminal illness. So, I mean, like I say, it's not a reason to go yeah. into hospice, but financially it, it really helps improve the financial burden at the end of life. Um, now, palliative care doesn't have a program like that, but just so people know that, that hospice does uh, cover a lot of the expenses that tend to really stress families out at the
0: end of life. I could see that being a big bar- potential barrier. If you don't know, mm-hmm. I don't want to, I've already been in the hospital. I've already had this much, you know, bills and I don't want to leave my family with more. You're not. Mm-hmm. It's covered. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, thank you so much for all your knowledge that you have shared. And um, I hope our listeners um, have Taking notes, yes. and if you have questions, where can they find you or reach you or get more information about um, hospice or palliative care?
2: So they can call the uh, BSA Hospice of the Southwest uh, mm-hmm. number, which has both uh, hospice and uh, the palliative care, and uh, the number is three five six zero zero two six, and that'll get you to either hospice or palliative care, depending on, you know, what you need
1: we'll have all the questions or answers to all your questions. <laughs> That's right. So our last segment is Pete's powerful moment. We are sponsored by Pete's car Smart Kia. We would like to hear your powerful, powerful moment.
2: Okay. Well, I thought about uh, a patient I saw many years ago and uh, it just kind of points to the idea of, um, of, of, trying to, to look at the positive because obviously outlook is everything, uh, especially with cancer. Um, so this young lady was 105 years old, um, And she was in the nursing home and she was blind and she couldn't hear very well. And I would go in and see her and she didn't have a lot of, she didn't have any family left really. And uh, she kind of had, you know, would tell me how it's not so much fun to be 105 and told me, I hope you don't make it to 105. (laughs) And uh, so one day I said, and I don't know whether she heard this somewhere else, but I said, so is there anything good that you can say about being 105? Because I wanted to try to get her to have something positive that i could go in and talk to her and she thought for a second and she said well there's no peer pressure (laughs) (laughs) and uh and i said you know you're right that's a that's a that's a good thing we're gonna grab a hold of the no peer pressure and and go and it reminded me of a there was a famous doctor a few years ago, uh, a number of years ago. You probably know him. His name was Hawkeye Pierce. Oh yes. of Mash Of mash. Um, Pam, you're too young. Yeah, you're you know. too young, Pam. I we'll, am. uh, we'll <laughs> fill <laughs> you in later. Uh, but he was given a commencement address to a medical school class. Actually, you know, he obviously was an actor and not a doctor, but he said something that, that stuck with me. He said, remember, when you go out into, into practice, the heart bones connected to the head bone. Um, and that's kind of stuck with me that, you know, that's, that's really, that's so important when you're dealing with patients and family, they're not an illness. They're not a diagnosis. I mean, they're, they're a person, they're a spiritual creature. They have a heart and it's connected to their brain and you got to figure out how to, how do I address that? And how do I use it? Kind of goes back to being, you know, positive uh, reinforcement and, and positive thoughts. So i <laughs> maybe 105, not so bad after all. Not so bad, no peer pressure, no peer pressure. <laughs> well,
0: that's good. Well, thank you, Dr. Stewart, for what you do for uh, patients in our community and uh, for sharing your uh, wealth of knowledge in, in the area of palliative care and hospice care. I know, Pam, as I said earlier, I learned a lot. I would assume our listeners learned a lot as well.
1: Yes, yes. It's not so scary.
0: <laughs> no, not so scary. Shouldn't be not so scary. And there's resources. That's the key takeaway, right? That's right. There's resources. You know, we, we kind of say sometimes no one goes through cancer alone or no one fights alone or or no one uh, goes through treatment alone. And that's kind of the same thing with this. And I, I think that a lot of the things that Dr. Stewart talked about too with um, kind of working on the whole person. Is kind of what we do at their center, right?
1: That's right. We have lots of stuff for the whole person, the caregiver. And so if you want more information, make sure you give us a call at 806-331-2400 or check us out on um, Facebook or our website.
0: Yeah, and our website is the number 24survivorship.org, 24survivorship.org. And definitely check out everything we have going on, our monthly calendar. It's full of activities. It's full of uh, wellness activities. It's full of, um, you know, things that you can do, um, mental escapes or mini vacations, as one of our previous um, guests had talked about. So make sure you take advantage of that. Share that information with everyone else. And then join us again next week for another great episode of Beyond the Ribbon. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Beyond the Ribbon. Make sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and follow us on social media for news and updates. If you'd like more information about the 24 Hours in the Canyon Cancer Survivorship Center, please visit our website, 24survivorship.org. Thanks again, and we'll be back next week.